as Adrian's already explained, we've got a morning centered around devotion. Devotion. And uh, I wanted this first message this morning to be one where our hearts just get caught up in what it looks like to be devoted to Jesus. So that we can, if you like, come on a journey based on a story that I'm going to look at together where we can end up even more eager to come into another time of worship. So that's the reason that we, we started with this song. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Mark chapter 14. If you haven't, don't worry, the passage will come up on the screen behind me as I read it. And this is a story about Jesus where very much he is the center of somebody's devotion. We're going to just enjoy this story together and use it as a foil for us to make a decision this morning whether we want to be devoted to Jesus ourselves. So it's Mark chapter 14, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 9, it's a familiar, famous story. I trust that we'll find it engaging as we go through it together. So Mark chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made of pure pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those presents were were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my (coughs) burial. I tell you the truth, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus is at a dinner party. Don't know if you like dinner parties. I do. I enjoyed dinner parties. Two or three weekends ago, we had three dinner parties on the run in the Rosier world, and it was very nice because most of them weren't at our house, so we were being looked after quite nicely. Uh, My dinner yesterday was with the students in 20s at Keffin Lee. That was chicken and chips. That was a different environment altogether, Uh, a bit rough and ready, but it was all right. We had loads of fun together. This is Jesus at a dinner party. We're often told in Oasis Church, why don't we become more like Jesus? Well, all we need to do is go to a dinner party because that's what he did, and we can become more like him. But this is a dinner party, and it's no ordinary dinner party. It's an extraordinary dinner party, as we'll see. But in it, apart from the expense involved, something happened that's very usual for you and I when we go to a dinner party. And that is that a gift was brought. A gift was brought. Mary, in this story, brought a gift. The woman in the story is Mary. John's Gospel identifies her as such. She's the sister of Martha. So Mary and Martha go together, and she's bought some pretty decent perfume for this dinner party. It's expensive perfume, as we'll find out a little bit later on. And with this unusual gift of of perfume, she's going to do something with it that was very unusual. 
but it was a gift. Now, when we go to a dinner party, what we normally bring is, is wine or chocolates or flowers or sometimes even one of the courses. These days, it's becoming more and more fashionable to, uh, to say, if you're going somewhere, can I bring the starter or the pudding? It's a bit more rare to say, can I bring the main? But often, when we're going somewhere, we say, can we bring the starter, can we bring the pudding? And people say that to us when we invite them around as well. What, what can we bring? So it's, a, it's the new way of getting out of washing up, in my view, where you just bring one of the courses and you can just leave it all hanging at the end. So Mary's bringing a gift, and, and she wants to bring a gift as we want to bring a gift because she wants to say thank you. She wants to express her thanks for something that's gone on in her life. And when we bring a gift to a host or a hostess or hosts or hostesses at parties, that's what we want to do. We're bringing something as a way of saying thank you. Now, it is mostly the case that when we go to a dinner party, we bring something to the host, to the people who are, who are holding the dinner party. But in this story... Mary isn't bringing the gift to the host. She's bringing the gift to one of the guests at the party. But as we read the story, it's quite interesting because actually she could have brought the gift to the host. Who was the host of the party? Did you catch it as we read it? The host at this party is a guy called Simon the leper. Simon the leper. The, the, the party's being hosted in his home. And you've got to ask the question as you get into the story. First and foremost is, well, how on earth did that happen? How on earth... Has Simon, who is a leper, thrown a party when many of us will know lepers in that day and age were social outcasts, uh, 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 exiled to boundaries outside the community walls in order to protect the community from the severity of the disease of leprosy that these people had. So they were put outside the city or the village walls, as it were. They had a disease that everybody was terrified of catching. If they did catch it, they knew they were going to die. And so lepers were outside the city wall, outside the community boundaries, and there's no way on earth that if a, a leper decided that they were going to hold a party, that anybody would want to go to it. It's, it's actually an inexplicable thing. However, and there is a however, and you've probably got there already because it's what Mark's Gospel wants us to assume, and it is the case, Simon was probably not a leper anymore. He was quote-unquote known as Simon the leper known as Simon the leper, which suggests the headline behind it, which was what? Jesus had healed him. He was a leper, but he is no more. So all of a sudden, Simon the leper has this label on him, which doesn't actually apply, but it does mean one thing. He's able to hold a party, and lo and behold, it's not a case that no one can come. It's a case that everybody wants to come, because he was a leper and he is no longer. A healing has taken place. So that's an exciting story, isn't it? And so Mary can go to this party, and she could well have this jar of expensive perfume because she knows that, if you like, Simon is suffering from post-leprosy pong and needs something in order to get over this after-leprosy smell that he's carrying with him. Who knows? But she didn't bring the gift for Simon the leper. Who else was at the party? It doesn't tell us in this gospel account, but again, it does tell us in John's. Somebody else is at the party, and this somebody else is her brother. Her brother. And her brother was Lazarus. Now, what do we know about Lazarus? He's famous in the Bible. Jesus raised him from the dead. That's what we know about him. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus was Mary's brother. Now, most sisters who have brothers will know that their brothers smell. That's just the rule of life. And so, again, Mary could quite easily think, well, my brother Smelly Lazarus is going to be at that party. I'm going to bring some perfume because he needs something as well to get rid of his general pong in life. But Lazarus was raised from the dead. And what happens to a dead man in first century Palestine is that their body is taken. 
It's wrapped up in cloths, a bit like Jesus was when he died, and it's laid in a tomb. And the tomb has a huge rock rolled over it, and it's locked away. And Lazarus was in the tomb for three whole days before Jesus raised him from the dead. His body would have been a bit smelly, shall we say. So we've got this guy who has died, who is at this party. And I don't know if you've ever been to a party where you know there's going to be a dead man there. I know I haven't. But if I had the opportunity of going to a party where there was going to be a dead man, a present, to be able to talk to because he's now alive, I'd be very interested in going. Which is again why John's Gospel says there were a huge number of Jews that crashed into that party because they wanted to meet him. Just imagine going to a party where, if you like, there is a dead man now alive. You'd want to go, wouldn't you? I'd want to go. We'd have a whole barrage of questions for this guy. We'd want to know what actually happened when you died. What happens when you die? Tell us, Lazarus. This is exciting. What's it like being dead? Where did you go? Did you go to heaven? Did you go to heaven? Did you go to heaven? Tell me about heaven. I want to know more about heaven. Did you go to hell? Actually, don't tell me anything about hell. I don't want to know. Did you go anywhere? How did you feel? How does it feel when you had to come back? Who told you you had to come back? How does it feel to be back? All these questions you would have at a party if there was going to be a dead man there. You'd want to be at that party. You might be so intrigued, so excited that you might have something in your back pocket to bring as a gift just to get you into the front of the queue in order to spend some time with this person. Mary had a gift. She could have given it to Lazarus. He might have had an after-death pong problem like a post-leprosy pong problem. And she could have had the perfume for Lazarus, but she didn't have it for Lazarus. Who did she have the gift for? We know because we've read the story. Not the host, not the dead man walking, although, of course, Jesus was going to become that. She had the gift for Jesus, the guest of honor at this party. A guest of honor amongst many guests of honors, I would suggest, people whose lives had been completely transformed by Jesus because he was the one who'd healed Simon the leper of leprosy, and he was the one who'd raised Lazarus from the dead, and he was the one who probably had a whole entourage of other people who were blind but could now see, who were able to talk that couldn't talk, who were able to hear that couldn't hear, who had been able not to, not to walk and now could walk. This was a big party. Simon the leper hosting it, Lazarus was there, and Mary brings her gift for Jesus, the guest of honor at the party. And as we know, it's an extravagantly generous gift. An extravagantly generous gift. This perfume could have been sold and the money used to help the poor. And the perfume was worth more than a year's wages. And even in our money, if you're on minimum wage, that is thousands of pounds worth of perfume. It's not Chanel number no. 5 at 70 quid for whatever it is these days in the shops, if that's about right. You can tell I haven't bought any Chanel number no. 5 recently. Perhaps you have. But, you know, an expensive bottle of perfume for you or I is somewhere around the 70 to 100 pound mark, I would suggest, possibly a little bit cheaper in duty-free if you can get that kind of thing these days. This is thousands of pounds worth of perfume. Minimum wage would take you somewhere between, what, five and 10,000 pounds in our money today. So this is, this is hugely expensive perfume that she's bringing to this party. 
hugely expensive, but she's bringing it with her. And as she brings it with her, she's deciding in advance what she wants to do with it, which is to take it, break it, and pour it all over Jesus. I know it's an unusual act. But just imagine, as she begins to do it, two things will take place. Either A, people will spot her doing it, and their attention will be drawn to this slightly unusual act, or B, the smell of the person will so enrich the atmosphere in which they're in, the home of Simon the leper, that people will start to smell this perfume and probably be drawn to the act that's going on. People will be intrigued to know what's happening, intrigued to see where this smell is coming from. And what we've got to get at this moment is that this room, this party, is full of people that like Jesus the disciples of Jesus, people that follow Jesus, people that like to be around Jesus, people that have been healed by Jesus, people that have been raised by the dead by Jesus, people that are excited that Jesus could meet them in their hour of need in some way, shape or form. They are people, dare I say, that love being around Jesus, that love Jesus. People, dare I say, like you or I this morning, who love being around Jesus, who know what Jesus can do, who say that we love Jesus. And we're all watching in on this act of devotion that's taking place. And then what happens amongst them, amongst us, if we can put ourselves in that situation, as this huge intimate moment of devotion is taking place, some become indignant. They become indignant. And they say to one another, Why this waste? Why this waste? Mary's gift, her generous gift, her intimate gift, her extravagant gift, as she's pouring it all over the head of Jesus in this massive moment of intimacy that's lasted down the ages. And we've got some there, like you or I, saying, why this waste? And the, the tragedy of this moment is that it goes to another step level up. Not just indignant questioning why this waste but they become angry about it angry and we can't quite understand the level of emotion that anger reached other than the fact that in their anger as they say why this waste Jesus steps in Jesus steps in to counter it and what does he say he says this leave her alone Leave her alone. Just leave her alone, will you? Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Leave her alone to be generous in her devotion, extravagant in her devotion, intimate in her devotion, worshipful in her devotion, abandoned in her devotion. Just leave her alone, will you? Leave her alone. In fact, leave her alone. And I tell you the truth, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world... What she has done will also be told in memory of her. And isn't it the case that actually over the last X thousand years, that's been true? Because we keep on hearing this story year after year after year. Whenever we come to this part of the Bible about this woman Mary anointing Jesus with that oil of anointing. Jesus spoke the truth as he often does and made an announcement about how we needed to get our eyes fixed on this moment of devotion. And what is tragic about it all is that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, those that were close to Jesus, those that knew Jesus could do an amazing thing, 
heal them, enable them to see, enable them to hear, whatever. The people that are crowded in thinking, Jesus is in town and he's amazing to be around and what a great guy. When this act of devotion began to take place, whether they were watching it or whether the smell was filling their nostrils and they were going to go and see what was going on thinking, I want to see what's going on here. What they should have been doing is standing back and thinking, what an amazing moment of devotion this is. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. This is intimate. This is meaningful. This is worshipful. That's what they should have said. They should have been lining up in a queue behind Mary thinking, can I have a go? They should be lining up Mary and saying, Mary, just a minute, can you save some of that perfume for me so that I can have a bit of a go of pouring some of that oil of anointing on Jesus? That's what should have happened. Because they knew Jesus and they loved Jesus. And yet they were indignant. Mary didn't care. She just carried on pouring it all over Jesus as liberally as she could. And she didn't care. It's an amazing moment of devotion to Jesus. Well, let's come back to 21st century Birmingham for a moment. Let's imagine. Let's imagine for a moment that you've been invited around to our house for, a dinner, for a meal, dinner party. We've invited you around. Some of you have already been around to our house. Many of you haven't. If you haven't, you'd like to, come and see me afterwards. <laughs> However, you might want to bring a gift when you do come, because that's what we do in normal life. When we go to a dinner party, we normally take the wine or the flowers or the chocolates or one of the courses. Now, if you've been invited around to our house, particularly after this message, you'll be thinking, well, I better take the wine or the flowers or the chocolates <laughs> or one of the courses. So probably... If you're like us, when you're going out, you're going to have it ready. You have it ready by the front door. You've got your bottle of wine already in advance. You've got your bunch of flowers. You've got your chocolates. Most of the time, we get ready for that kind of thing. We don't leave it to the last minute. Some of the time, however, we do. Some of the time, we realize we haven't got the bottle of wine. We better just nip to the spa on the way over to make sure that we arrive at our hosts to say thank you. Not a legalistic thing. It's not like we're paying for the meal. You just want to bless the people that we're going to. So that's what we do in our lives, and you probably do it in yours as well. Think about this. You're coming around to our house, and you're thinking, you know, what I've seen of Gus and Jane, they're, they're pretty nice people, actually. I really like them. They seem really kind and generous. I want to really bless them. So I'm not just going to get a spa bottle of wine and have it on the table ready to go when we go. I'm going to get them a nice vintage. So I'm not going to go down to the supermarket a week or so in advance. I'm going to sort of sniff around the wine merchants of life and see if I can come up with a really nice bottle of vintage wine. And I'm going to take that. And if that is ever you, thank you very much in advance. <laughs> think about this then. And this is something you don't have to do. You've been invited to our house. Spa, spa wine's okay. Vintage wine's okay. But you've now decided inexplicably for some strange reason that you've decided you love us so much, you're going to buy us something completely outrageous. You're going to buy us a Mercedes-Benz E-Class. I know, outrageous. <laughs> You've decided you're going to buy something that's completely going to blow us away in a way you could never possibly ever imagine. And you're going to roll up in this E-Class and it's going to look like it's your car, but you're going to get out of the car and you, as we greet you at the door, you say, we've brought you a gift and here it is. And we fall over. And half an hour later we get up again and think, well, oh, thanks very much, this is wonderful. As you're about to leave our house on that evening to come and have a meal at our house, it isn't that an E-Class Mercedes is just going to magic out of nowhere. It's not as if you can go down the spa and get one. You've got to spend time in advance thinking about what you're going to buy so it's going to blow us away. 
wondering about what might really bless us, musing over what's the sort of money you're going to spend in order to completely turn our heads and make us fall over. You're going to have to look around the car showrooms. You're going to have to choose the car and the, the color and the type of leather that's inside it in order to really make it worth our while. You're going to spend some time in advance, intentional time in advance, making sure that this gift is completely outrageously amazing. It's not a spur-of-the-moment thing. It's not a whimsical act of devotion that you just decide on the night. You've spent days, possibly weeks, possibly months, thinking about this moment of massive excitement that's going to blow us away. We shouldn't be surprised, actually, when we read this passage, that Mary arrives at this party with this expensive perfume. We shouldn't be surprised. It's an act of devotion to Jesus that I would like to suggest is a culmination of weeks and weeks and weeks of devotion to Jesus. Because what else do we know about Mary and Martha in the Bible? The other thing we know about Mary and Martha in the Bible is that they too were hosts of a dinner party one time. They were throwing their own party. And Jesus was at that party. And at that party, Mary got into trouble with Martha, her sister. And why did Mary get into trouble with Martha, her sister, at that party? Because she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to Jesus and enjoying his presence. And Martha said to Jesus, tell this sister of mine to get off sitting at your feet and start helping me make this dinner party work. And Jesus just said, no, I'm not going to. What she's doing is a good thing. Mary was known as a woman that sat at the feet of Jesus. She sat at the feet of Jesus. And time at the feet of Jesus, time at the feet of Jesus, time at the feet of Jesus, feet of Jesus enables her and enables us to get to a place of marveling at how wonderful he is. Not just the miracles, because they are amazing. Not just the fact that he can make a blind man see, or a deaf man hear, or a dead man rise from the dead. But the words of Jesus, the counsel of Jesus, the comfort of Jesus, the encouragement that we can receive from Jesus going into her, so that when the, these moments of excitement come along, it's just an ongoing process. Say, well, of course Jesus can do this, because he's wonderful. An understanding of who Jesus is. An understanding of how much he loves her and how much he loves us and how much time he's got for her and how much time he's got for us. For us today, an understanding of what it meant for him to go through his life with us in mind, the cross in mind, never putting a foot wrong, never saying anything wrong, never slipping up in sin in order that he can make it to the cross, be pinned to the cross, crucified on the cross to take all of our sin for all time. That's the sort of thing that gets into you when you spend time at the feet of Jesus. And when you spend time at the feet of Jesus and it gets into you, you start changing from someone which is to someone which is that is totally and wonderfully amazing. I'm getting down the car showroom to get the Mercedes Benz and I want to lay it at the feet of Jesus and I don't care how much it costs me. And rather than we be the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, those around Jesus that say that we love Jesus, 
looking in indignantly and thinking, what a waste. Whenever that kind of devotion comes along, we think, this is absolutely beautiful. And so when I read this story, I read the story and I find myself, perhaps like you, wanting to be like Mary. That's what I want. I read the story, of course, of course we're challenged by it, of course we are. Because the whole idea, it's, it's true, isn't it? The whole idea of you, any one of you, getting a Mercedes-Benz and giving it to us is ridiculous. The cost is ridiculous, and we aren't worthy of it anyway. But this woman spent thousands of pounds laying her gift at the feet of Jesus. And when I read it, I think, that's devotion. She had something. There was something that she caught in Jesus that she thought, I don't really care what anybody else thinks, what my life looks like, how much it costs me, I'm giving it to Jesus. So I find myself wanting to be like her, even though, if I'm honest, I'm more like the indignant accusers, saying, what a waste, don't do that, that's a waste of time, spending time at the feet of Jesus. We've got plenty of other things we can do in our lives. Let's not be like that. Let's want to be like Mary. Let's want to get time at the feet of Jesus. Let's want to bring our devotion to him. Let's want to get, be blown away by how amazing he is. Let's have in our hearts a heart's desire to say, I am here and I'm bringing a gift to you today, Jesus. What gift have we brought with us today to Jesus? Have we even thought about it as we come into worship? What have we brought? What are we bringing? What can we bring? Well, the good news is we've got ourselves... We've got a worship song that we began with, which I think drew us to a place of intimate devotion already to Jesus. We've got this story and the model of Mary that says, come on, why don't we do it? Why don't we just take some time to say, God, we want to give you our devotion this morning. We want to give you our best this morning. We're here for you this morning. We are going to worship you. We're going to sing to you. We're going to pray to you. We're going to wonder in who you are. And then just, let's just see what happens after that. And so that was the, the heart of this part of the message. A story about a woman who sat at the feet of Jesus, culminating in a beautiful, wonderful, amazing gift of emotion and intimacy and intention that has lasted down the ages. Why don't we just go with her and join in and give Jesus some glory and some praise and some worship? That's what we're going to do. So why don't we stand up? Andrew and Colin are going to come back. We're going to worship, and as Adrian said, we're just going to worship, we'll see where we go, then after our time of worship, whenever that is, we'll have some notices and I'll come back with some practicals around how our life version might look like. But let's worship. It's great to worship, it's great to be devoted, and uh, it's great to have a reminder of how God is devoted to us. And uh, worship is one expression of how we devote ourselves to God. It's one expression. We can come into a corporate worship together, enjoy joined hearts that join our spirits together with God. It's great. It's wonderful. It's encouraging. There are other things we can do. And there is a, there is a kind of quote-unquote do to it. Because if we just wait for a Sunday morning meeting where we find a passage in the Bible that perhaps touches us emotionally and we get swept away with and think, oh yeah, God is great, and then we come into a time of worship, that's that's never going to be quite enough in some respects because we'll just live from Sunday to Sunday for high moments in God's presence. More, we need to be like Mary, sit, seating, sitting at the feet of Jesus, spending time in his presence. 
And so I just wanted to spend uh, literally a few minutes, five minutes possibly, just encouraging us in, in terms of how we can do this on a day-to-day -day basis. And whether we get to a how-to in the Christian walk, there's a massive danger, and particularly in, sense in, in, in a place of devotion, which is it becomes a should-do thing. I should do this, and I should do that. So I'm about to share with you two things that, to be honest with you, many of, of you could come up and say, which is we, we really want to be in the Word of God, and we really want to be in prayer. Uh, and anybody here can come up and say, uh, we should be in the Word of God, and, and we should be in prayer. And if we base our devotional lives on a should do, then we're in trouble. Because what will happen is, over the course of time, we'll probably find that we're less likely to spend the amount of time at the feet of Jesus that we, the, than we'd like to. And then ultimately we start thinking, well, God can't accept me because I'm not doing what I should be doing. So I'm less accepted by God because I'm not spending time in the Word or I'm not spending time in prayer or whatever. So should do takes you down a legalistic route of condemnation. More, our hearts should be like, oh, my, it's my desire. It's my desire, like Mary, to get time at the feet of Jesus. It's my heart to want to do so. And whenever I do, whenever that is, God is absolutely delighted in our presence with him at that moment. So whether it's a tiny amount of time or it's an ongoing ward load of time, God is delighted to be spending time with us. And so when we look at devotional time, word, prayer, it's driven from the heart, and whatever we do, it's a beautiful offering to Jesus. As came out in that worship time, we give our hearts to Jesus. So that's the backdrop, but then, of course, there is some, well, tell me how to do it then. So there's two things, the Word of God and time in prayer with God. Word of God. Getting into the Bible. Two weeks ago, I did a, a message on having our minds transformed. And one of the things that I said in that message was that we need to get the Word of God in us. Because if we don't have the Word of God in us, how can it ever affect us? I remember a time a number of years ago when I was uh, doing a job that I really didn't want to do. Uh, I was uh, nothing against hospital porters, as I mentioned this job, but I was being a hospital porter in a, in a, in a mentally disadvantaged hospital, if that's the right, even right way of saying it. At the time, I found it difficult to work with an environment in people that were unpredictable. So I was learning a verse, which was simply this, Philippians 4, verse 13, which says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I just prayed that prayer all day long as I was working as a hospital porter, facing a number of people that did some very unpredictable things to me during that day. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's the word of God. So we need to get the word of God in us. There's a, 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 a verse in the Bible where Jesus is speaking to the Sadducees. These are people who are trying to trick him about uh, marriage and the resurrection and this kind of thing. Uh, and he uses this line. He said, you're an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You're an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And if you turn that around as a devotional thing, Jesus said, look, know the scriptures. Know the scriptures and know the power of God. It's a heart thing. If you want to know what's in the Bible, it'll change you. It'll change you. So how do we know what's in the Bible? Well, sorry for the obviousness of the point. We have to read it. <laughs> if we have our Bibles available to us, why don't we read it? And some of us re will read the Bible regularly, and some of us might not read it that much at all, but it's there available to us. So let's read it. We read it in a church on Sunday. We read it in small groups during the week. Find some time somewhere, if you can, and if you want to, to read the Bible. Read it in chunks sometimes. It's helpful to get the whole picture. Read little bits that are in the Bible. And as you read it, think about what you're reading. Part of 
my desire in telling that story the way that I did was to help us see how we can dive into a story that is on the one hand so familiar, but on the other, as we dig deep and we think about it and we muse over it, we find things there, you think, oh, that's amazing, it's incredible. So read the Bible, think about it, ask God to help you understand it as you do. Give insight. Some of the Bible is really easy to understand, but difficult to apply. Some of it's really hard to understand. Just ask God, say, I'm coming to this, your word, God, help me to understand it. And then, in terms of knowing the word of God and the power of God, try and apply what you read. Try and apply it in your lives. Two weeks ago, again, I mentioned the the verse from Ephesians 5, verse 3, amongst you there's not even a hint of sexual immorality. I was going down a line of that challenge of some of the sexual bombardment that we get in our culture today. Amongst you there's not even a hint of sexual immorality. Quote the verse and then do something with it, which is, as I said two weeks ago, not clicking whatever you might want to be clicking on the internet. Apply the Word of God. As you apply the Word of God, you will find the power of the Word of God works in your life. God's power will be evident through you. So that's the Word of God. Get in the Word of God. Try and get in the Word of God. Praying. We all like talking to one another, don't we? We like talking to one another, and we like listening to one another. And that's what prayer is, talking and listening. And talking and listening in life can take many different forms. There's one style of, style of talking and listening, which is simply chit-chat during the day. You talk about everything and nothing to loads of different people as you go through the day. Chit-chat, chit-chat, chit-chat. In my prayer life, I chit-chat to God as I go through life. I'm just saying things to him as I go through my daily life. Saying, well, help me with this, or help me with that. What about this, God? It's just chit-chat. Then there's the other type of speaking and listening, which is I want to spend some time with those that I really love. Intentional time. I want to sit down with my wife once a week, occasionally. (laughs) We're just going to sit down over some food and talk to each other. And we plan it, and it's intentional. It's in the diary. Some people call that a date night. You'll do that with your friends, with your family, whatever. You'll have times where you're intentionally going to spend some time to talk. That's why we do dinner parties, to share life on life, to enjoy some time together talking and listening. In the Bible, Jesus teaches about what it is to pray. He says, you know, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, find a place, your room, he says. Go up to your room and shut the door, and your father who's unseen will see what you're doing in secret, which is what? Pray. So I'd encourage you in your lives... Try and be intentional. Think about in your day when you're going to pray specifically to God. It doesn't have to be the same time every time, every day. Some people like that. Some people like the morning slot or an evening slot, and it's religiously part of their life, and that's not wrong. Other people have got such different lifestyles today that it's just you come into every day and you think, actually, at the beginning of the day, when am I going to look for a window to spend some time praying to God? So it's a window in the day rather than the same window every day. But there's intentionality about it, I would suggest. And God wants us to do that. He says, when you pray, so be intentional about it if it's your desire to want to do it. Find the place, shut the door. What does that mean? Private and a place where you can connect with God for you. Some people pray in the car because it's just them and the wheel and the door is shut and they can pray. It's a private place. It's not a room, but it is a private place. Other people pray in parks. You may say that's not a private place, but if you walk around largely away from people, you can be as exuberant as you want to be and not have to worry about anybody else, and that's a private place to some extent. It might be more difficult for you to pray in an open plan office, because that's not so private, but Jesus said, try and find somewhere that's private so it can just be you and your Father in heaven. You can be yourself. 
You can say what you want. You can sing if you want to. You can jump up and down if you want to. You can raise your hands if you want to. It doesn't really matter. Find a place that works for you and try to make it private. And then when you get there, and what I like about this verse in Matthew 6 when Jesus teaches, he says, when you pray, go up and find a room, shut the door, and he, then he says it again, pray to your Father in heaven. And you say, yeah, yeah, just pray. When you pray, pray. Well, of course, when you pray, pray. But isn't it the case that sometimes that when you pray, when you found your place, whether it, let's just say it is a room in your house where you go and you shut the door, when you pray, what can happen? When you pray, oh, I'll just surf the internet. Or when you pray, I'll just check some texts on my phone. Or when you pray, I'll start looking around the room and thinking, oh, I haven't watched that DVD for a while. Or when you pray, you fall asleep because it's your bedroom and you're sitting on your bed. Jesus says, very simply, when you pray, da-da-da-da-da-da, pray. So if you've done it, you're saying, well done for doing it, for finding a time and a place and making it private. But when you do it, once you've got there, by all and every means, pray. Use the time that you found to engage with your Father in heaven. And your Father who's unseen will do what? He'll reward what you do. What does that mean? A reward from heaven? Does it mean a Mercedes-Benz? Probably not. But it does mean all the sorts of things that came out in worship. It means comfort from God. If you're stressed in life, God will give you comfort. If you're just buzzing because God's great, you'll find that he'll buzz with you. You'll, you'll just have a great time of celebrating in God. If you're worried about something... Do not be anxious about anything but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and what the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which transcends all understanding can come and visit you. Something you can't understand, you get to understand. How does that work? Don't know, but it's there and available for you. These are the type of rewards that we can get as we spend time at the feet of Jesus. So it's the Bible, the Word of God, and it's prayer. And these are things that we can do in our normal life if we want to. Don't do any of those things if you think you should. I'd encourage you, if you think, oh, I should be doing that, but I'm not, try just carry on not doing it and ask God to give you a heart to really want to do it so that actually makes a difference. This year, for me, I've, in God, I think, made more of an intentional decision. I, I, I really want to spend more time in God's presence. It's so easy, even in the type of work that we do, just for that to be kind of a given. And it's so easy not to be there right at the heart of who we are and what we do. So at the beginning of the year, I've, I, I've made that decision. I really want to spend more time in God's presence, so I'm being more intentional about wanting to do it. And I'd encourage all of us to do that as well. There's loads of other things we can do, but I don't want to bombard you with loads of stuff. Uh, prayer, Bible, Passion, desire, time at the feet of Jesus, let's be devoted as a people, pause, centre, continue.